Welcome to the Double Shot with James and Mitch. Mitch, I tried to give you your, your moment of, of, of fame there you, to tapped, do the introduction. You've tapped me on the shoulder as the intro music was playing going, you intro, and I've gone, what? Anyway. <laughs> you froze. froze I've never seen time. someone freeze. In fact, uh, no. last time I saw someone freeze that much was um, 24 hours ago when uh, the Detroit Lions were trying to close out a, a berth in the Super Bowl. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, you're, not, you're not wrong. That was, uh, yeah, that was a butchering by them. Um, but also the, the Kansas City Chiefs certainly showed some might and um, bravery just getting away, finding a way to get it done, hey? We've never seen as much interest in the NFL, have we? In, in, in a Super Bowl at least. Even My sister-in-law, Ellen, if you're listening, I don't, I don't think she listens, but Hank can pass it on to her. Mm. My sister-in-law knows more about NFL potentially than I do at the moment because she just is all across the Kelsey brothers, Taylor Swift, and the I guess the convergence of all the Swifties with the, all the people that follow football in America. Matt, they've done a, um, like the NFL or Netflix or whoever have done such a good job of, um, you know, growing that brand. True. But I've got to say as a, you know, very superficial supporter, watching that quarterback series on Netflix has got me a lot more interested in what's unfolded this season than I ever have been. So, Well, yeah. we, we've seen Netflix do similar for Formula One, haven't well, we? We have. They, and uh, I'm and, not going to go and, there. And, but and, and golf. <laughs> we, no, no golf. Golf's, golf's banned on the, on the podcast. I told you that. We, uh, we're not, we're not yeah. doing golf anymore. Mate, golf's the most played sport in the world. So I reckon, um, or probably behind soccer actually, but I reckon there'd be some people out there that appreciate my golf update. <laughs> well, they can talk to you directly. <laughs> um, I, I did want to uh, also just touch on before we get into uh, what, what is a fairly jam-packed episode this mm. week, um, Lang Walker. Uh, yeah. I think, I'm, I'm just trying to think, he, he'd be the second or third wealthiest uh, property owner in, in Australia um, as far as private individuals go. He, mm. he died over the weekend, age 78. Yeah. Was a trailblazer and, and maverick. Probably, like, is it fair to say known within the property industry at least for taking on projects that others wouldn't, yeah. really challenging sites uh, yep. and, and the like? Yep. Um Rest in peace, yeah. Fifth, I think fifth on AFR's um, wealthiest people list last year in 2023. And, yes, yeah, certainly um, responsible for some significant projects across Australia, um, Riverley in Adelaide being one that, um, you know, probably sits in the realm of what we do, which is a big 12,000-lot master plan 30 minutes from n- north of Adelaide. So, mm-hmm. yeah, similar things around the country. Rest in peace to, to the great man. Yeah, and hey, uh, before we we sort of do do move on the Australian Open, did you catch any of the the finals no. of the weekend? No, look, I I, um, I just sort of read the headlines the next day and and were, was aware of the results, but I didn't watch any of it. Um, but I, I I take it you did. You you were quite uh, engaged well, in the Open this year. I mean, it's it's on a bit too late for me, but um, but but I went to bed. I'm going to say halfway through the third set in the men's, uh, the women's final. I watched. Um, like the lady who won it last year, Sabalenka, just breezed mm. through yep. in two sets. She, she's impressive. Uh, and then the, the male final, I went to bed probably halfway through the third set uh, and, and uh, Medvedev, who has been in the last couple of finals, I think, mm. hasn't won one. He was up two sets and, and looking pretty good in the third. Somehow managed to lose it to mm. this young Italian fella who, who just absolutely rallied 
Um, but it, it wasn't the big headline, was it, from uh, the next day from the no, Australian no. Open? I think um, Albo very brave walking into the tennis of all sporting events that he could have, <laughs> you know, turned up to given that But most people attending that event are probably your higher income earners and uh, in light of the tax... True, you true. Know, you know, it like, is. They're, they're, he's <laughs> not the right crowd. Not the um, right crowd. There's two things that are really unpopular for you to do as a Prime Minister in Australia. First one is increased taxes. Like there's probably not a a more popular or, or least popular, sorry, thing to do than to increase taxes on Australians. Yes. Albo didn't quite go that far. But what he did do <laughs> is he basically unwound some tax cuts that had been promised. Yeah. And he, he just basically said, look, I know we legislated that already and I know technically we're obligated to, to do it, but I've changed my mind. We, we're going to start again. Uh, and we're going to divvy it up in, in a sl- slightly different way, which actually benefits four-fifths of Australian taxpayers. Yes. But it probably wasn't the four-fifths. I'll tell you what, the four-fifths wouldn't the have Australian been open crowd at the, fi- <laughs> at the final at least yeah. where uh, yes. I don't know what a ticket costs, but... Um, we might as well, we well, might as well you start might, look, there. You, you've done such a good job segueing from tennis into tax. Um, it's quite impressive, actually, and I know that you're all across the particulars on this, so I might yes. get you to set the set the tone as far as the particulars in terms of the tax cuts and, yes. you know, what Labor are proposing to do by way of changing them. Um, so, Jeez, oh, there's been a beat-up about it, isn't oh, it's, there? It's, Jordan, it's, JB, have you, have you heard about it? Mate, JB my, hasn't heard about it. My group texts, uh, <laughs> for the first time ever, talking about like politics and, and tax and it's on the back of what Albo's proposing to do to the stage three tax cuts. Well, I think everyone's got their knickers in a knot because he technically said, I think, you know, 15 times that he wasn't going to do yeah. anything about these tax cuts. So he's sort of gone back on, I guess, a promise. But um, look, to be honest with you, I think it's there's been a massive beat up about it. Whereas it's, it's not actually that big a deal. What what he has done, we've got a t- tiered um, tax system in Australia. So the more you earn, the more you pay. You don't pay anything up to about twenty eight thousand dollars in Australia, um, or twenty sorry twenty five uh, eighteen thousand. In fact, you don't pay any tax if you earn up to that amount. And then it sort of goes up from there. So from eighteen to forty five, you pay about nineteen cents, and then from forty five to one hundred and twenty, you pay thirty two and a half cents, and then then and it starts to really kick up. So from 120000 to 180000 you pay $0.37. Cents, and 180000 onwards, you pay $0.45. Cents. So a bit confusing, I know, but the rationale is the higher income earners pay more tax because they should be able to afford to. And it's it's probably, you know, it's probably the best way to do it, to be honest. Yeah, um, fair enough. So from 1 July... Uh, what they were going to do is basically anyone over $150,000 was going to be getting some massive tax cuts. Mm. And what Albo decided is he said, well, yeah, I'm just going to re-look at this. And what he's done is he's played around with the numbers where basically everyone, everyone pays less tax still. So I think what's been lost a little bit in this, and this is relevant in the context, because no one's going to be happy, depending on how much income you earn. No one, no one's going to be totally happy with this. But basically, he's reshuffled everything so that uh, still no tax if you're up to eighteen thousand. Um, from eighteen thousand to forty-five thousand, it drops from nineteen cents down to sixteen cents. So they're going to be paying less tax. Mm-hmm. Forty-five thousand to now one hundred and thirty-five thousand going to be paying thirty cents instead of thirty-five, uh, two and a half, and then one hundred thirty-five thousand to 190,037 cents still. So it hasn't really moved and, and still 190,000 
plus you're going to be paying um, 45 cents. Yeah, so that, very, very well put and very number heavy. So James yeah. obviously Put smart, it in layman's terms Smarter for the, than for the, the next bloke. But uh, me over here, I like to put it in dollar figures and just to Great. figure out if I, like I earn this or if someone earns this, what does it mean? So I think all in all, if you earn, say, $120,000, you will be having access to $2,700 more disposable income each year under Labor's um, effectively most recent tax changes. That is still $700 more than what you would have had under the legislated stage three tax cuts. So they're so, a winner. So 120 grand are winners or less winners. Um, if you're earning $180,000, you'll get $3,800 more, um, which is about 2,200 less than what you would have received under the stage three legislated tax cuts. So losers, but still getting, you know. Still a, winners. Well, l- losers based on what was being promised, um, but winners based on what was previous in terms of their, their, their tax rates. And then someone on 250000 um, we'll have access to $4,500 more in disposable income, which is 4500 less than, than the stage three. So they're sort of your winners and losers and noting that everyone's a winner, but, you know, that's a sort of a break up in dollar terms of what you would receive um, by way of additional disposable income each year under the different earning incomes. So, so uh, yeah, obviously you're going to feel about that differently depending on, on where you sit, um, but... What I can say is uh, the, the main takeaway for me is from 1 July, so basically the second half of this calendar year, the, these uh, come into effect. So it's pretty soon. I think it's going to happen around the same time as interest rates come down uh, is, is the consensus view. Uh, what that then means is I, th- I think we're going to see borrowing capacities moving at the back end of this year. So for me, that that's, has to translate into um, you know, more borrowing power, more ability to purchase. And, and I think it's going to move the needle on prices. Mm. Also, if you, if you happen to be a, a landlord, you should also be happy, even if you're in that higher tax band, because it probably means your tenants are going to be able to uh, handle the, the rent increases that are hope, uh, you'll, you'll be hoping will be coming their way because we've still got a really, really tight rental market. Yeah. Yep. And I think um, like people that are criticising the, the the most recent changes from Labor or what they're what they're touting um, raise a good point. And I come across this from Pav, Pavel Dushash on on Twitter and LinkedIn. Now I don't know who now, this guy is. I was going to say how have you how have you come across Pavel? Mate, I don't know. It just it just stumbled across my feed, but I thought it was quite good, so I put it in here. Um, the algorithm. And you know his his argument is that we've had bracket creep since two thousand and eight when these. Tax, um, yeah, brackets were set, um, and bracket creep for those of you who don't know is effectively where inflation pushes your income. You go into a higher tax bracket and therefore have um, the same or, or less purchasing power. So you're not actually, you know, feeling the impact of real wages. And he puts it into numbers quite well. He says one dollar in two thousand and eight when the, the brackets were set, were equal to $1.50 today. So someone earning 180k a year, which we pointed out before, um, will still be getting $3,800 more tax, but 2,200 less. Um, someone earning 180k pays $55,267 in tax. So it's about 31% as a total figure of income. In 2008, a person on uh, 120,000 paid 31,867, which is about 27% of their income. So his argument is that in today's dollars, a person in 2008 was $7,467 better off than someone today. So look, I've probably 
go on a little bit into too much detail, but effectively saying that those stage three cuts in full effect are necessary to offset the bracket creep we've had since 2008. Well, and then they should index them, right? Like really, the, the, the different tiers should go up every year based on what wages or inflation are doing. That That's a... Yeah. That's been a really sensible argument, I think. But um, yeah, anyway, it's, uh, I'm sure the I'm sure politicians, mate, they're they're not they're not dumb. They I reckon they know that they they reset our taxes, and they know that they're going to pick up the gains as our wages increase, and they don't have to change the bands. Oh yeah, so I don't reckon there's much incentive to to move on that. But everyone's a winner. Yeah, happy days. Hey, before we do segue into uh, the next topic, um, just the final thing on taxes, if a lot of that confused you, um, the easiest way to determine where you stand uh, after the most recent changes is that you can jump on the Treasury website at treasury.gov.au or just Google tax cut calculator. You can actually whack in your income and it will tell you um, based on the the proposed changes where you stand as far as your taxable income and and how much better off or worse off you are. So that'll be the best way to do that. Um, But definitely I think we've spent far too long on tax. So we're going to move on and I'll t- tell you what, I, I think <laughs> I was going to start with this. I was going to start with this. So we'll, so we'll go there. China. Mate, there is, <laughs> there, there is a bit. lot going on in China at the minute. Oh, isn't there what? It's imploding. The whole economy seems to be imploding. The biggest, um, for those who haven't followed it, I mean, in fairness, Evergrande, China Evergrande is, is, was the biggest developer in China. Now, when we say biggest developer in China, now, like China's so big, so so you got to bear in mind, it's like seven or eight times some of the biggest companies in Australia. That's how big uh, this kind of operation is. Uh, multiple hundreds of billions of dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, uh, after two years of speculation that they were going to go broke, went broke over the weekend, and I'm not sure the ramifications on Australia. Yeah. Um, probably because they're such a big developer, it's like being a, a big builder. Probably the mining industry is the one that, that needs to be careful because it may affect the demand for a lot of the supply materials and, you know, iron ore and um, steel and, and all that sort of thing that, that goes into the construction over in China. Mm. Um, but it's come off the back of Country Garden, yeah, another big developer who actually did do a lot of business in Australia. Evergrande didn't do any business in Australia, but Country Garden, really big land developer, pretty much sold up and moved yeah, out. Yeah, so Country Garden, um, or Rizland as they're known in Australia, um, they recently sold uh, what's left of their Wilton Greens development, which is about 330 hectares of land um, in uh, in Sydney, about um, oh, southwest of Sydney, 65k. So rumoured to have sold for about 240 million. So obviously liquidating some assets um, there, similar to, you know, Evergrande as far as um, one of the things that that sort of led to Evergrande's demise is that they defaulted on on some of their debt and country gardens have just done the same. So liquidating assets in order to offset some of that. Mm. They also sold out of their Windermere estate down in um, in the west of, of, of Greater Melbourne or, or just sort of the metropolitan Melbourne area. They sold that to Fraser's for about 250 million. Um, so they're, they're about, and, and that was that was prior to the Sydney sale, about 2,200 lots. Um, but interesting to note that country gardens is, is rumoured to sort of be on a similar trajectory to Evergrande, um, noting their share price today sits at 0.7 Hong Kong dollars, um, 
which it's been as <laughs> which I don't imagine is high. I, I don't well, it's been as high as twelve. Does it sound high? No, it's been as it's been as as high as twelve dollars fifty eight or twelve Hong Kong dollars. So probably not a hot stock. So it oh had, no, maybe maybe well, it is. Maybe, maybe it buy is. at the bottom. Who knows? But we know way, nothing about shares, by the way, guys. Please don't. Go and do yeah, that. like honestly, it was just more to to, to kind of articulate that they're not. They're not in a great spot. So no. Look, well, and, and to put it in perspective too, like the the these companies, Evergrande had five hundred billion dollars worth of, of of debt. Country Garden not far behind. I think three hundred billion Australian dollars in debt. That's, it's so, mate, so much money. On that point, Lehman Brothers, who everyone you know n- knows about, if you're familiar with what happened during the GFC, yeah. had six hundred million dollars of uh, six hundred billion dollars of debt. So <laughs> like this is in. Pretty crazy territories when we were talking about that level of debt. Um, so fingers crossed we, um, and I mean, yeah. And I mean, China is very different to Australia. So 100%. I think there's almost nothing that you can really take out and, and apply in the Australian context other than say the, the impact on our mining industry. Um, but 40%, according to Reuters, who I would say is a fairly credible source, yeah, companies comprising about 40% of all of the sales of new housing every year in China have uh, defaulted on debts and gone broke in the last 12 months. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, and, you know, like no doubt an impact on the consumer as well who's got half-built homes and, you know, like waiting to move into dream homes. So, look, it's it's not not great. Um, Hopefully, for Country Garden's sake, we we see them uh, navigate through this turbulence and get back on their feet. I don't think the fallout will will be big in Australia, but the Reserve Bank have been making mention of it for the past 12 months, that that they're just watching that because the impact on mining has a big impact on our economy and therefore the sort of conservatism or, or lack thereof that the RBA might have, it may may mean interest rates do sort of come down, but it, but it's at, if nothing else, it's probably a, a good case um, to support along with inflation that, that rates stay where they are for the foreseeable future. Mitch, um, I feel we have to go here next, and, and I guess we'll finish on this because I want to. I want to spend uh, just a, a couple of moments, at least, talking about it. Uh, big, big debate always is: do the affordable properties stack up and, and hold up as well as the high end of the market? Everyone knows the high end of the market. You see the big, big jumps, and I guess a lot of my friends will often ask me, and, and clients, mind you, um, well. Why wouldn't I buy, say, in a city where I'm going to see more growth than in the middle and outer? And it's a fair point. And uh, there was a report this week that talked about that topic from Ray White, where they talked about the fact that um, the the high end of the market, quoting, say, Paddington and Spring Hill in um, Brisbane, had outperformed the average in terms of, you know, the, the percent difference. So, roughly done 30-odd percent better mm. over a 10-year period than the average of houses across the whole of, say, Brisbane and, and then Sydney and Melbourne and, and, and Perth and so on. It is a good debate and I, I feel like there's no right or wrong, um, but what I would say at the outset is the high end of the market has certain things going for it mm-hmm. and certain things that can be a bit of a trap and... Uh, and, and likewise for, for the affordable end. So it really does come down to kind of what suits you better in my view. But do you want to maybe start by just talking through from a data point of view because you're, you're sort of on this day in, day out. Yeah. What's the difference between the two? 
from a from a data point of view in terms of how they track? Yeah. So look, I think um, this this particular report has focused on a couple of you know, say the top ten suburbs, and as you said, the findings have been that the more affluent or the top five percent of the market has outperformed the median house price in terms of growth over the last ten years. So, for example, the inner city of Brisbane um, has been has grown at thirty seven point six percent higher than the median house price over the last ten years. Kenmore, Brookfield, Mogul, which is also like quite you know inner city suburbs in Brisbane. Brisbane, 36%. Yeah, all of these inner city suburbs are somewhere between 32 and 37% better off over the last 10 years, according to this data set, than the median house price. Um, and I guess the, the first thing I, I would say to that is, um, yeah, look, that, that may be the case. Um, but there's a couple of things that come front of mind for me when I guess deciphering between that oh, top end of the market and, and the median median end. The first thing is that, yes, it's more volatile. So you will see it probably go up and burst at a better rate than the median house price, but it also comes down at just the same rate. So like we saw that, you know, um, in, in most economic downturns or, you know, downturns where we see the market stagnant, the top of the market's the one that sort of drops and drops at a higher rate. The middle of the market's more durable. So volatility for me, probably the first thing that springs to mind. Um, the, the next one's cash flow. Um, in particular, those higher end of the market properties um, are going to cost more to buy um, and maybe p- will potentially have a lower yield. Um, so you're going to be sort of costing you more money to hold and you obviously got less people that can afford to rent them. So, you know, that in itself makes your vacancy rate risk higher and, you know, you definitely don't want to have a property vacant where you're, you know, having to fund the, the whole cost of holding it. Um, and that's the thing, right? Like the property, no property is perfect. In an ideal world, you get really good cash flow and really good growth out of a property. Mm. What you've typically got is a bit of a seesaw or fulcrum sort of trade-off where if you want more growth, you do have to typically sacrifice cash flow. If you want better cash flow, you you do typically sacrifice growth, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, like you say, finding the balance and, and there's different strategies for everyone. Um, you know, I think that, the, and that's probably the third point, right, is like, you know, what, what your strategy is. You know, you might want to have one or two properties in an affluent area that, you know, are going to bop along growing and you're happy to take the cash flow risk. If you look and at And ride out the yeah, highs r- and r- lows. Ride out and, the highs and, and lows. And, yep. and, you know, that that's certainly um, uh, a strategy. And then, you know, if your strategy is though to build, say, like a land bank or, or a, a bigger portfolio, um, then it may hinder your ability to duplicate having those, you know, top of the end properties because they're more expensive, they use more of your capacity and you've got more risk of the cash flow, um, you know, to, to buy the next one. So, yeah, look, I, I don't know, like it's, as I said, both can work. Um, you just really got to find out what works for you. So, yeah. I don't think you can go wrong buying anything, but mind you, but yeah. Um, but yeah, just got to make sure whatever your strategy is and, and stick to it. I think um, the only other things I would say is I do find the data can be a bit misleading too because yes. you're looking at what properties sell for and that's all that, that, it, that it really tracks. It's not, it's not backing out, say, the money that gets spent on these homes. And yeah, what, what I have always found, statistically speaking, with the higher end of the market is you have a higher rate of renovation because there is more more affluence. Mm. So what you're seeing is, you know, of course, I guess it would make sense to me that the higher end of the market shows a higher growth rate if you're not allowing for the renovation spend because there's a higher proportion of homes that get renovated. But just because you buy a home for a million, spend a million renovating it and sell it for two million, did it grow? Well, not yeah. really. It, it You just got your money back. So that that's, I'm not saying that that's the case 
in mm. this data, but it would be playing a role. And then, yes, I, I agree with you, you know, th- there's no one way to, you know, build wealth through property investing. The trophy home, higher end of the market, typically, you know, you see people who do it, they pick one or two really good ones. Mm. Um, I've personally found success in building a portfolio of, of more affordable properties because for me, I'm probably a bit less cash flow, um, a bit less risk, aver- a bit more risk averse, I should say, where cash flow for me just didn't sit as comfortably that, that I might have four or six weeks without a tenant because that that's the byproduct is if you're renting a home for $1,500 a week, you're, you know, call it, that's what, $75,000 a year. If you work out rough numbers that someone's going to have to spend 30% of their their wage on, on, on their rent, you know, you're talking about someone that's probably 250 grand a year in income, which there aren't a lot of those people. So of course, it's going to take a little bit longer to get a tenant. Um, and that's just, that's just the, the sort of downside, I guess. Um, but mm. yeah, absolutely. I would agree that the closer to the city, the more valuable the land is, the arguably the more growth you're going to get. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, you got to get everything in balance. Yeah. Agreed. Hey, it's been a, um, well, I assume we're finishing on that. I think we, like, I think we improved on last week. That was all we so. really needed to do today. Yeah, I think I think so. I think, you know, the removal of the golf references helped. Um, <laughs> but and well, also I've in got fairness, to, we, look, we did well just to get out a podcast in a short week. 100%. So yeah. I, was, I was happy enough with that. Hey, if, we, um, like, if there are still people listening, and I assume there are because we were better than last week, I have an apology to make. And it's in relation to the, um, the the Netflix recommendations I gave. I did square it up on, on our Quick Shots <laughs> episode, but it was a public holiday, so not yeah. sure if people were in their usual routines listening. But um, if you f- tried to find the recommendations I gave you on Netflix, you would have struggled because I butchered the names. <laughs> so I think I said... Do you remember the right names? Oh, so I think I gave you the Harlan Coben, and that was correct. That's the right author. But I think I said Stay was one, which was actually meant to be safe. There's a um, another Harlan Coben series called Stay Close, which is what I got confused with. And then I think I saw something about focus um, or, or, or whatever it was called. Um, but it was, uh, what was, what JB, you know, what was the Harlan Coburn one that's trending at the moment? Pull Me Once, I think it's called. Yeah. So Pull I've seen The Stranger. That's strange. That's, that's um, good. Oh, yeah, that's one, one of his. That, that was the, a very good where one. Where the bird rocks up with all of yes, the... Um, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yep, yes. Gotcha, yes. gotcha. Took me um, what about right to the very end to figure out what was going on? But you're watching anything else at the moment? No, I'm not on anything. NFL um, and tennis has probably occupied most of your content lately. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Um, Boy Swallows Universe been been oh, uh, been watching that. How good is that? Very good quality for Australian Mate, um, Australian like TV show. The, really. I would say best Australian TV series I've ever watched. Yeah, and I'm not at the end yet, but so far I'm already comfortable yeah. to make that call. Yeah, uh, I've read the book, so it's not as good knowing the ending, uh, uh, I have okay. to admit. But, yeah, um, but yeah, he um, has done a great job, The uh, whoever directed and uh, and did, and good cast too. Mate, great cast. Um, you know Slim Halliday is a real person? In Like as in an Australian? Like He's a, a real, Austra- it's a real person. Taxi, taxi murderer or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to look that up after real this. Real person. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Now that's about all I've got for you. Um, I... I uh, Anyway, we'll park it. We've babbled on. Let's uh, move on. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next week. Uh, We will be back and uh, we will be even better than this week. We're improving incrementally week on week. Thanks again for having me on your program, James. You're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is the doubleshot.podcast. That, my friends, is the doubleshot.podcast. Until next time, think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.